Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. Steph versus LeBron. Jokic versus Booker. Joel Embiid versus Tatum and the Celtics. Jimmy Buckets trying to put away New York City. Bet Online Sportsbook has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays as we decide the final four in basketball's playoffs this week. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast, and podcasts aren't live. It's the whole point of podcasts. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening It is May 11th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. Who's ready to talk NBA playoffs? Game 5s, Game 6s, storylines abound, all sorts of good stuff today. We talked about the Lakers and Warriors series in depth on Tuesday. If you want to listen to the Evolution of Anthony Davis episode, we took a big picture look at that series Maybe we'll have a Warriors eulogy coming up. Again, we're recording this at 3 in the afternoon on May 10th. We don't know the result of Game 5 of Warriors-Lakers. At the same time, we might have a Warrior eulogy to do. The Warriors are 7.5-point favorites. I'm going to presume that there's a Game 6 in this series and then be pleasantly surprised in the event that... The Lakers do finish the Warriors off in five games, but I'm going to assume that this series is going to carry on into the weekend, so we'll put a pin in that Warriors-Lakers series, but we're going to talk about the other three series today, and that begins by talking about Game 5 between Philadelphia and Boston, and since Morgan from Australia isn't here to complain about Jalen Brown, we're going to talk about another factor in that series. Cheers. 
So you remember back on Monday, if you're a frequent listener of the show, we just threw on the microphones and watched Game 4 of Boston and Philadelphia, which ended up being not just the most impactful game of the series, it was also one of the most entertaining second-round basketball games we've seen. I mean, there was a 15-point lead, and the Celtics came back, and we were bemoaning the 76ers' fourth-quarter offense of give the ball to Joel Embiid and let him settle for a mid-range jumper. We were bemoaning the Boston Celtics' decision to have, first of all, to have Jason Tatum guarding Joel Embiid, but also to not call a timeout with 18 seconds left, and we talked about uh, James Harden's game-winning three-pointer and Jason Tatum's step back that was kind of a push-off but not a push-off on Tyrese Maxey. Like, we broke down that game, and the, if the 76ers had lost that game, series would have been over. Like, series game over if Boston goes up 3-1, wins both games in Philadelphia because Philadelphia would have had to do what they did in Game 5 and still do that again in Game 6 because... Back in Game 4, we talked about, okay, James Harden was good enough to steal a game for you. James Harden stole a game on the road in Boston. He is still that caliber of player. And they were going to have to beat them twice and then get a Joel Embiid game. I suspect that Game 6 or Game 7 is going to be a Joel Embiid game for the 76ers. Like, he's going to put up 40 points and 15 rebounds and will be a plus 7 in the box score. Like, one of these games, I think, is going to be a Joel Embiid game. And if it doesn't happen, Philadelphia will lose a Game 7 in the second round for literally the third time in five years. Literally the third time in five years. And the first time was Kawhi Leonard hitting the quadruple bounce shot and the second time was the iconic photo there have been two iconic photos of 76ers game sevens one is the Kawhi Leonard shot with him crouching in the corner and the other one is Ben Simmons passing up an open dunk on Trey Young so maybe Philadelphia doesn't get it done but it's starting to look like Philadelphia's got this series in the bag I mentioned James Harden a second ago and Harden wasn't the person I initially wanted to talk about because we've now done two James Harden podcasts in the last eight days on this show. James Harden, after game one, we talked about him putting up the 41-point game, or sorry, the 45-point game, and that being one of, that being the prime James Harden performance that felt vintage And then on Monday, we obviously watched live as James Harden and Joel Embiid ran the two-man game and Harden hit the game-tying floater in regulation and game-winning three-pointer at the end of overtime in Game 4. James Harden in those two games, I looked up this stat the other day, James Harden has had two of his six highest-scoring playoff games in his NBA career in this series against the Boston Celtics. James Harden has had two of the six highest-scoring playoff performances of his career, including a game where he put up the 45 in Game 1, highest-scoring game of his playoff career. And the other games that are in the top five for James Harden, I was shocked to learn this, was that in the five games where James Harden has had his highest-scoring performances of a postseason, the Houston Rockets were 2-2 two and two in those games. If we extend it out further to games against Golden State, 
in that 2019 playoff series where uh, James Harden had a 41-point game and James Harden had a another 41 point game in the in the same playoff series against Golden or one year against Golden State 2019 another year 2018 uh the Rockets were 0 and 2 in those games James Harden in his seven highest scoring games in the playoffs as a member of the Houston Rockets was not only 3 and 4 he was and I'm doing the math here a plus seven in those games. James Harden was a plus seven in the box score, which is kind of crazy to think about. And then we fast forward to these last two games for James Harden, where it's him against Boston in game one and him against Boston in game four. He is plus eight in that game that they win, and he's actually a minus six in the game four that they almost lost against Boston, which a big part of that is they stopped giving the ball to James Harden in the fourth quarter and just ran the Joel Embiid settles for a mid-range jumper offense. But in this series alone, James Harden has had two of his six highest scoring playoff performances of his NBA career. The other ones came against the Warriors in 2015, a first-round series against Minnesota, a first-round series against Oklahoma City, and a second-round series against the San Antonio Spurs that they lost in Game 3 by 9 points. So it's been uh, maybe James Harden's greatest postseason performance of his career, which is kind of wild to think about. The actual story I want to talk about today requires a little bit of nuance and complexity, and we're going to dive into it with a little bit of a caveat at the beginning. And the caveat at the beginning is, I believe that you can defend any course of action as it relates to Joe Missoula. You could keep him and I'd defend it. You could let him go and I'd defend it. You could do anything in between and you could make an argument for that being the case. It's the same thing I've said with Josh McDaniels. If you fired Josh McDaniels last year, that's okay. You would just be admitting that you made a mistake and that's probably correct. If you give Josh McDaniels more time and autonomy over the roster, it means you still believe in him as a coach. And if you think that's the best course of action, I can defend that decision because it's not like Josh McDaniels is a total bum as an NFL coach. Joe Missoula is not a bum. Joe Missoula has proven to be an incredibly competent coach. He finished second in rookie of the, or second in coach of the year. Granted that the coach of the year award this year was unanimous for Sacramento Kings coach Mike Brown. Light the beam. Shout out Sacramento 916. Yes, it was a unanimous award for Mike Brown, but Joe Missoula did finish second for the coach of the year award. And you can def- and and the Boston Celtics gave him a full-time contract extension what began as an interim job because of Ime Udoka's affair within the workplace that led to a one-year suspension and we didn't get enough public details about what went into that but it was enough that Boston not only served a one-year suspension to Udoka they were pretty cool with teams interviewing him and taking him off their hands as the Boston Celtics went through bringing in Joe Mazzulla, who last year in the championship run was the third guy on the bench, and Will Hardy, who was their lead assistant, followed Danny Ainge to Utah and is now the head coach of the Utah Jazz. Joe Mazzulla has proven to be a competent coach during the regular season. They gave him the full-time job back in February, 
And you can make either decision with this one. With that being said, I'm not usually this guy, but the Boston Celtics got to move on from Joe Missoula. The best course of action in my mind is the Boston Celtics move on from Joe Missoula, even if they come back to win this series. Even if they come back to win this series against the Philadelphia 76ers, even if they make it to the conference finals against Miami, and even if they make a run to the NBA finals where they might be able to beat the Denver Nuggets. Like, Joe Missoula has been a net negative for the Boston Celtics, and there have been a couple moments where it hasn't just been he hasn't called a timeout with 19 seconds left. He hasn't made, uh, he, he didn't, um, he didn't call for Brown to go into the game with three minutes left. Uh, Joe Missoula has not just had these moments of, of laps on the court where we can see it happening. It's also been some pushback the 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 pushback on him from the team is more intensity that seems to kind of be his strategy if you've heard some of his press conferences he's deflected questions talked about being angry and pissed and more intensity is kind of his go-to as a, as a coaching style and again Joe Missoula one of the best things he did during the regular season I was listening to Bomani Jones talk about this was giving the Celtics leeway to figure it out one of their problems in the final last year beyond Jason Tatum having basically a, a knee or an ankle injury or a combination of the two that made it so he was basically trying to work against Andrew Wiggins on one leg, one of the better defensive wings in the game, working on one leg. Like Not only was it working against Wiggins on one leg, it was the Boston Celtics really started settling for shots and... Udoka tried to intervene. Udoka tried to get the offense on track. And we saw in the fourth quarter of game one in that series at Golden State, you saw the results adjust. You saw the adjustments come into play and you saw what Boston's offense could be. And we've seen it at the end of that Milwaukee series when they were down 3 2 last year. We saw it in the finals. Like Boston was able to make adjustments and get the offense on track at Times. Now, once Steph Curry swiped their soul from them in Game 4, there wasn't really a bounce back because Tatum was so injured, the shots stopped falling, Wiggins had a, an incredible game at Golden State in Game 5, like just Golden State was the better team and Steph Curry had swiped the soul from the Boston Celtics in that Game 4, and I don't say that like in the cliche, oh yeah, look at what he did, nah man, if you watch that game, that was series wrapped. When Steph Curry's burying three-pointers, going for 37, yelling at the Boston crowd, like, nah, that was... Boston had a chance to take a lead in the series. Golden State asserted themselves as the better team. The number one defense, maybe in the history of the NBA, based on the analytics and data that suggests Boston, from, from January 2022 until the finals, had the best defense in the history of the NBA. They had nothing. Nothing for Golden State. And Golden State came out in Game 5, and Boston didn't have the offense to compete with 27 from Andrew Wiggins. Like, but, the, but the whole point of that was like they made the adjustments. The, the coach at least instilled a level of confidence. And Joe Missoula has really been outclassing. I've seen Kevin O'Connor talk about how losing Ime and Will Hardy will be something that changes the course of this Boston Celtics run. And... While you can't insert any coach into a spot and win, you can find some pretty competent coaches all over the place. And 
Joe Missoula might be better served going back to being an assistant. Again, he's 34 years old. I'm not saying, like, again, Joe Missoula is an incredibly competent coach. Joe Missoula and this entire run in the playoffs has given off interim coach vibes. And Joe Missoula might need a couple more years before he gets another shot. And this Boston team is too much in a win-now mode to take another gamble on Joe Missoula because it just has not been working. It has been Missoula deflecting, Missoula not calling the timeouts, but at a certain time leaning too much on what we were talking about with, hey, figure it out for Tatum, figure it out for Jalen Brown. And this is beyond Game 5. Like, in Game 5, they were just bricking some shots, and the, the 76ers were hitting some shots, and Philadelphia's offense started running the two-man game with Embiid and Harden, and then Tyrese Maxey got the ball in the corner and hit a couple three-pointers. They had a, a D'Anthony Melton three-pointer that changed the game. Like, the, the, the game plan in Game 5 for Boston wouldn't have saved them from losing that basketball game. It might have saved them from losing game four, and it might have helped them had... It might have helped in the fourth quarter had they start hitting shots and cut that deficit down to not 15 points. Because I was joking the whole time during that end of the game. Like, there is no team I trust less with an 18-point lead than second round of the playoff 76ers. Saw it in game four, saw it against the Hawks, Saw it against Miami last year. Saw it against the Toronto Raptors in 2019. Got like different iterations of the team. I do not trust Philadelphia second round of the playoffs to ever hold on to a lead. And Boston just had nothing in the tank. And they were getting booed. And Missoula didn't have good answers after the game. He didn't have memorable answers after the game like he had in the first two games, uh, the first two losses of the series. But Boston. Joe Missoula is clearly outclassed and is sometimes leaning too much on the figure it out type of stuff. And he's going to be a head coach in the NBA, maybe even for the Celtics next year, but he's going to be a head coach in the NBA for five to 10 years. There just are not enough quality coaches. And when you go through the ranks like Missoula has, you will get another chance. Hell, the Milwaukee Bucks are interviewing James Borrego for their head coaching position. James Borrego flamed out after four years with the Charlotte Hornets, never made the playoff. They made the play in one time, but never made the playoff in his time with the Hornets. And Borrego's getting interviewed for the Milwaukee Bucks head coaching job. It's cycling Charles Lee through the the hiring process. Darvin Ham is getting cycled uh, through the interview process before he gets hired by the Lakers. And Darvin Ham's going to be a coach in the NBA for about seven to eight years. Like, even if he doesn't stay with the Lakers longer than five, six seasons, someone else is going to give Darvin Ham a head coaching job. Someone else is going to give Joe Missoula a head coaching job. And because of the power dynamics in the locker room, Missoula's probably going to have to go somewhere else to be a lead assistant before he works his way back to the NBA. But Mike Brown did the same thing in Sacramento. Kenny Atkinson's doing the same thing right now after flaming out with Brooklyn. Like, Missoula is going to spend... I would, I would say Boston fire Missoula uh, and whoever they bring in as the, the next coach besides the point. Like maybe you go and get Nick Nurse. Maybe you go and get Charles Lee. Like besides the point of who they go and hire. The more pressing point is like for Missoula's standpoint, Missoula by the time he's 40 years old will be a head coach again in the NBA. If the Celtics fire him, it won't be long before he does find his way back to a bench. And 
as the head coach of the Boston Celtics, who finished second for coach of the year, he's going to have his pick of the litter in terms of which assistant coaching job he wants to go get. Maybe he'll go with Steve Kerr in Golden State as they wrap up that run for them. Maybe he goes with Ty Lue and the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, maybe he goes down to Phoenix and he's the assistant with Monty Williams. Maybe he goes over to, uh, say, Memphis with Taylor Jenkins. Like, he will get to go basically wherever he wants to be a lead assistant, and someone will hire Missoula because there is a a lack of quality coaching throughout the NBA. Missoula will be, if the Boston Celtics fire him, and I think the Boston Celtics should absolutely consider moving on from Joe Missoula at the end of the season. He he was an interim coach. Maybe they made a mistake removing the interim tag too early, but if you admit that mistake and move on, this has a very interim coach vibe to it, and everything Boston is doing in terms of in-game adjustments and play style feels like interim coach vibes and maybe you give Missoula the wherewithal to work through it but Boston's window is closing real quick man Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been together for six seasons Jalen Brown doesn't like it in Boston that window is shrinking 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 piece by piece for the Boston Celtics and so as I'm watching this playoff series my thinking is like yeah this is a assistant coach who filled an interim role in a weird situation with a coach having an affair. This is his first head coaching job at 34 years old, and he did not pass the test, which for a team like Boston that has a championship now window where they are actually a desirable job for head coaches, like this would be a different deal if this was like the Houston Rockets or the Washington Wizards, and the Washington Wizards have, I believe, Wes Unseld Jr. as their coach. Maybe when they fire Wes Unseld Jr., that's a job that opens up for Joe Missoula. Maybe Joe Missoula gets to inherit a playoff team looking to change it up in the locker room. We saw this last year, NBA champion coaches get two years after winning a championship of a window. Mike Budenholzer got two seasons fired by the Bucks. Frank Vogel got two years fired by the Lakers. Nick Nurse got four years fired by the Toronto Raptors. Ty Lue got two years after winning the title in 2016, fired by the Cleveland Cavaliers after two years and eight games. He got eight games into the 2018 season before they kind of like mutually parted ways. And by the way, Ty Lue's a good example here. Ty Lue, in his 40s, became a head coach for the first time, sat out for a season, went to be an assistant with the Lakers. Uh, Wait, was it the Lakers? No, went to be an assistant with the Clippers for two seasons. They fired Doc Rivers, a Hall of Fame coach, and then put Ty Lue in as head coach. And Ty Lue, still in his 40s, I think now in his mid-40s, seven years removed from winning a championship, Ty Lue is now in a position where he is the head coach of of a championship caliber Clippers team. Yeah, Ty Lue's 46 years old, won a championship at 39, 46 years old. Ty Lue is in a position where he is now one of these 10 coaches that always comes up every time a head coaching search comes available, so much so that he's now being considered for the Milwaukee Bucks coaching job, which is kind of funny. And so the Boston Celtics find themselves in this position where they can go get one of those guys. Maybe it's not Ty Lue, maybe it's Nick Nurse, maybe it's someone else, but the Boston Celtics are in a position where Missoula hasn't really done anything remarkable to remove the interim tag. 
in the playoffs, it's been clear that he's been outcoached by Doc Rivers, which there's no shame in getting outcoached by Doc Rivers. The problem is when you're getting outcoached and clearly have a better roster and there's no real recourse for improving the roster, and as a coach you haven't done anything that makes you invaluable, you're the thing that changes unless they can get a player. I mean, even both can change. Like You can change the coach and you can change the player, but I think Boston would be better served not doubling down on the Missoula situation. And if that's the case, Missoula will be a head coach in the NBA again by the time he's 40. He can go be an assistant coach anywhere in the league he wants as a second lead assistant. And within three years, someone will hire him as a coach. Maybe a playoff team, maybe a rebuilding team. Someone's going to give Missoula the job. Boston... Uh, Boston would be better off admitting they made a mistake of giving him the full-time job and giving him an extension. And Boston would be better off moving on after the season and trying to firmly establish themselves. Because all this is giving off is interim coach vibes. Is he is filling the seat until they can get a, a coach with a more proven track record in the door. That feels like what's about to happen for Boston. And if and when they lose in the second round of the playoffs, it seems like the move they're going to have to make. Which is no shade to Joe Missoula. Again, I'm going to say it again like I said off the top. I can defend them keeping him. He's done nothing to show that he is unworthy of being an NBA head coach. I also can defend moving on from him because they just can't risk it with another season of a dude who is clearly being outcoached and has not given the most perfect responses to being outcoached by the Philadelphia 76ers and a guy who, once the Milwaukee Bucks lost, I mean, they were the betting favorites to win the championship. There were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They were the best team in the NBA despite not having one of the five best players in the NBA. And the fact that this is now... Six, no, five seasons after they were one game away from the NBA Finals, when it was the Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving first season, and Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier were carrying them against Cleveland. That was 2018. We're now five years removed from that. They've made every move to build a winning roster. They are dipping into the luxury tax next season if they want to bring back Grant Williams, but there's even a question about whether they want to bring back Grant Williams. I mean, Boston is in a scenario where they do need to kind of like lock down a coach who they know is going to be there two years, and I think they can do better than Missoula. Actually, I know they can do better than Missoula because Nick Nurse is available right now. I know they can do better than Joe Missoula. i
All right. How about them Denver Nuggets? How about the Denver Nuggets that we said back in February should be getting real considerations for winning not just the Western Conference with ease, but winning the NBA championship? The team that we said should be getting considerations for not just the best team in the West, but that they would make it through the West without facing an elimination game. Those Denver Nuggets put a beat down on the Phoenix Suns in Game 5, and now they are one game away from making it to the Western Conference Finals, where they will probably beat the Lakers and go to the NBA Finals, potentially being one free throw away from fulfilling our prophecy of the Denver Nuggets making it to the NBA Finals, going 12-3 and and never facing an elimination game. Here was Nikola Jokic talking to Inside the NBA after the game. I thought it was funny. Jokic is very punctual. He's talking about the whole Matt Ishbia thing. That way we can hear Ernie Johnson ask him the question instead of me spending any amount of time talking about Jokic and Matt Ishbia. Here was Jokic, courtesy of Inside the NBA. It was our basketball. We dominated the game in the second half. You, you uh, Joker, congratulations, first of all. But you look at now, like, you, like Charles said, you're going back to Phoenix. Uh, is there a different game plan on the road than you do at, at home? No, no. I think it's just mentality. You know, it's it's game six, so we know each other. We know the moves. We know the the calls. We know the handshake. We know the every 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 signs. So it's it's about it's about uh, who's gonna be aggressive, who's gonna play with more toughness, who's gonna who's gonna play with more desperation. You know, so uh, who wants it more? So I think it it, it comes down it comes down to that. Joker, last thing. i got to give you props for the way you handled the uh, pregame situation. You saw Matt Ishbia and uh, went over and, and handed him a basketball. So uh, was that, was that uh, something planned when you saw him over there? How'd that all play out? No, it was just something that, um, you know, I don't have nothing against it. I, I will do the same thing if there's anybody else in the Phoenix uh, just because uh, if you guys follow right, that's what I like to do I like to inbound the goal really quick and then just get advantage uh, keep, uh, keep, keep the game going um, I just wanted to make fun at least a little bit you know and I hope nope. I was hoping he's going to pay my fine but no <laughs> <laughs> I think he can afford it hey uh, thanks a lot for joining us and you passed Will Chamberlain tonight most triple doubles by a center congrats on nice. that one too Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. Where is wow. Shaq in that? Is it Shaq in that list? Uh, <laughs> no, because no, I never passed, Big Honey. <laughs> I never passed, Big Honey. Denver Nuggets won game five. And Nikola Jokic had a 30 point triple double. Michael Porter Jr. had 14 points in the first half, which changed the game for Denver. You can point to Kevin Durant's. 10 for 25 game, which, you know, 40% from the field, below average by Durant standards, not a terrible game, didn't hit a three-pointer, which was more of a problem for the Phoenix Suns. This is one of those games where Denver just outplayed Phoenix and specifically outplayed Phoenix for like three quarters, except for when they just started bricking shots in the second quarter. And... The Philadelphia-Boston game is a good example of sometimes there's just not a more frustrating way to lose than your team just bricking every shot down the floor, like going 
two for 18 or going two for 17. I know the Sacramento Kings lost game five and game seven of their series against the Warriors shooting one for 18 stretches in both of those games. Boston Celtics, that's got to be especially frustrating when you just are missing shots and that's how you lose. And Phoenix didn't shoot all that well. The thing was, Phoenix was incredible in Game 4, and so the regression from Game 4 to Game 5 with Phoenix feels a little bit tougher. I mean, Phoenix, as a team, for the game, Phoenix ended up shooting... uh, Let me pull up the stat real quick here. Phoenix ended up shooting 43% as a team, which is not terrible. It's just they shot 57% in Game 4, and that split... Right there can be a little bit frustrating. They shot 33% from the three-point line. Meanwhile, the Nuggets buried 48% of their three-pointers. Like, Denver played at the level they were playing at the entire series. As a team, they shot 56% in Game 4. Jokic had 53 points, and they got beat by the Suns because the Suns have Devin Booker and the Suns have Kevin Durant. And when Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are combining for 80 points... They can win a basketball game with just 15 points from Landry Shamit. And so Phoenix is in this interesting position where they are the second best team in the Western Conference, clearly, and might be one of the four best teams in the entire NBA. And they just happen to be playing Denver, who is the best team in the Western Conference and the second best team maybe in all of the NBA behind the Boston Celtics. And you're seeing the result of that bear itself out as the Denver Nuggets can consistently shoot 50% from the field. And look, maybe Denver's going to have the game where they shoot poorly. But what was so remarkable is in the first half, really was the second quarter for Denver when they had that really, really awful stretch of basketball where Denver shot three for 18 to start the second quarter. And Phoenix went from down, I want to say the worst it got was 36-24 to being down 47 to 45 when that ended up happening Denver went Jokic inside bullying Kevin Durant and got the basket and that ended up changing the tide of the game for the Nuggets because they just dumped the ball inside Jokic layup and then they came out in the second half it was three-pointer Jamal Murray right off the bat and that was a that was a big deal for Denver just in terms of the pace of the game that they were playing, I know this sounds like very generic basketball analysis, but it was a Jokic basket before the Jamal Murray basket. So they hit two baskets back-to-back, 56. Then it was Jamal Murray floating layup off the Jokic assist. So it was two Jamal Murray baskets. Jokic scored or assisted on each of the first three baskets. Jokic makes a shot to go up eight. Uh, Jokic's scorer assisted on all eight of their points to start the half. Jokic makes a two-pointer with 8.59 to go. He's scorer assisted on all 10 of their points to start the half. Jokic makes a three-point jumper, and they're up 13. Jokic's scorer assisted on all 13 baskets. And then you get the Michael Porter Jr. corner three-pointer to put him up 16, and they go on a 16-4 to four run to start the half, and you look up, and Phoenix is down 16 points now. Uh, they ended up scoring a basket right away after that, but basically then the Denver Nuggets are up 16 points. Jokic scored or assisted on the first 13 points of the half, and that's just why Denver is the number three most efficient offense in the NBA, the number three team in SRS and PER, at player efficient, uh, not PER, um, 
in uh, efficiency rating. They're number three in SRS this year, and they were number three in expected win-loss record. Uh, I said uh, efficiency rating. Net rating was the statistic I meant to say. Net rating is the team statistic. PER is the individual statistic. Denver was the third best team in the NBA this year and the third best offense in the league this year because of situations like that when they go three for 18 from the field and Aaron Gordon's bricking three pointers and uh, Bruce Brown is the one who's scoring points in the second quarter for them and Jokic is being double teamed when they get to that point it was 47 45 and again this image is so clear in my head 47 45 they had Jokic mismatch on Durant which is crazy to say that anyone is a mismatch on Kevin Durant they get Jokic on the mismatch to Durant dump the ball inside, and Jokic gets a layup to go up four. And then they traded a couple free throws and baskets, but they were basically up four at halftime. And Denver ended up scoring 17 points in the entire second quarter, but to break the three-for-18 stretch, they got Jokic inside over Durant, which is, again, crazy because Jokic is a seven-foot-tall two-time MVP and can't dunk a basketball. Just does. I, I'm sure he's able to dunk a basketball, just does not dunk a basketball in a game. And then they came out in the second half, and it was Jokic scored or assisted on 13 points. And that singular player, combined with guys who can just make plays. I mean, I said Jokic scored or assisted on the first 13 points of the third quarter, and I keep focusing in on that stretch because the rest of the game was basically this like a tie. Like it was 45-45. Then the Nuggets go on a, I want to say, 28-8 to run or a 32-12 run. And then in the fourth quarter, the Suns go 28 and the Nuggets go 27. Basically, if I'm looking at this and, and calculating correctly, the Nuggets were up 77-57 and then won by 16 points. So basically from 45-45 to 77-57, that's a 32-12 to stretch that the Denver Nuggets win. And if I'm counting this correctly, Jokic scores or assists on the, so let's see, 15 out of 17, two Murray free throws, a three-pointer, that's seven points, uh, Jokic basket, Jokic basket. Jokic scored or assisted on... 25 of those 32 points. There is one stretch of the game that decides it because, again, Phoenix was tied 45 45, and then it was 77 57, and then Phoenix outscored Denver by four the rest of the game. But it didn't matter because Denver went on a 32 12 run in the span of eight minutes. And in those eight minutes, they played good enough defense, and, and Kevin Durant wasn't hitting his shots from three-point or the mid-range. Like Again, Kevin Durant shot 40% for the game. And in that 32-12 to stretch, Jokic scores or assists on 25 of their 32 points. But then if you, if you zoom out further, because I know it sounds good when you just say that in the stretch, if you zoom out further, you had on the Jokic baskets an assist by Aaron Gordon. Uh, Jokic assists on a couple Jamal Murray baskets. Then you have... Aaron Gordon assisting a Jokic basket. Then you have the Jokic three-pointer assist by Jamal Murray. Then you have Jokic's two-point bucket at the rim. That was Contavious Caldwell-Pope with the assist. Michael Porter Jr.'s three-pointer. Jamal Murray hit him with the assist. Like, every single basket is scored or assisted by Jokic, and the ones that aren't 
are assisted by someone else in the offense. So when you've surrounded competence with Jokic, this is what I was talking about when you talk about why the Denver Nuggets are this singular great team, because they can go on 32-point stretches in eight minutes. And granted, the reason the margin of victory was so big was because of Kevin Durant missing shots and Devin Booker missing shots early in the game, but he came around towards the back end. But like the reason that this game was the way it was was that singular offensive threat. Maybe the score would have been closer at the end if Phoenix hits shots. But when you have an eight-minute stretch where Jokic is scoring or assisting on 25 of their 32 points, Denver is going to be better than every team in the league except for maybe the Boston Celtics. And maybe on a given night, the Philadelphia 76ers. Denver very rarely plays themselves out of a game. And that ability to not play themselves out of the game is why I felt so confident at the beginning that Denver would go 12-3 and and run through the Western Conference. And why we said at the All-Star break, people are not talking enough about the Denver Nuggets as a legitimate NBA championship threat. And I'm surprised that the series is still going after five games with the Suns. I would have thought shooting uh, 56% from the field and Jokic having 53 points would be good enough to beat Phoenix. Perhaps I underestimated the Phoenix Suns and the abilities of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant because they have pushed this series to six games and there's still a chance they could win the series or force a game seven in Denver, which would break the trend that I said where they would make it through the West without facing an elimination game, but this is the best team Denver's going to play. And Denver is giving them a punch where a 32-12 to stretch was all it took for them to win the game, even while Phoenix outscored them the rest of the game. It was the same way that we talked about the Lakers and their singularly great abilities on offense. It was the singularly great ability... Or sorry, the Lakers on defense. It was the singularly great abilities of the Denver offense with Jokic at the centerpiece of it and scoring or assisting on 25 of their 32 points while having competence from Gordon and assists from Caldwell Pope and Michael Porter Jr. hitting corner threes at an awesome rate. They just need two of those guys to do their thing, and they have an Aaron Gordon block on Devin Booker here and there, and if two or three of those guys fill a role Jokic can be the singular threat that makes them a top five offense and gives them the ability to score 32 points in an eight minute stretch, uh, not just once, but twice. They they ended up scoring 35 in the first quarter and then ended up having that 32 in eight minutes to start the second half. So twice in a stretch of a game, they can have that singular offensive explosion that is the reason why they will be Western Conference champions at the end of the day. As we predicted three months ago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.